on Demand Engine Cutoff. I am Anthony Colangelo, and the news has been hot this week with commercial space stations. So I want to dissect some of the announcements that we've seen, but also talk about the ISS conundrum that we have been in for a few years now. But I think the recent announcements, looking at the calendar a little bit, the political uh, budgetary drama that's going on in the U.S. makes it a little more dire than it's been in the past. And I wanted to cover that a little bit uh, just to frame what we're seeing from the commercial space stations, because the announcements here are inseparable from uh, the NASA program of record for the future, I guess it would be uh, the commercial low Earth orbit destinations contracts, the CLD contracts. Let's see them refer to that. Uh, So let's start with the news uh, from last week before IAC, which did kick off this week in Dubai. Uh, the, The weekend before that, there was an announcement from Lockheed Martin NanoRacks and uh, Voyager Space Holdings, who is the majority shareholder of NanoRacks, that they are going to be collaborating on a space station project called Starlab. Now, this, in in contrast to the other commercial space station renders that have been thrown around from Axiom, or as we'll talk about from Blue Origin and Friends, uh, this is sort of like hot rodding a a space station. It doesn't have multiple modules. It doesn't have all this expansion built in. Doesn't have these luxurious large windows. Uh, This has essentially a satellite bus with some radiators some solar panels, a little arm, uh, robotic arm there as well for work on the station, and then an inflatable habitat with a docking port at the front. So it is really, you know, slimmed down to just sort of an expedition class uh, space station, not something that is going to be this enormous complex in space, or at least, you know, that what they're showing off here is not the enormous complex vision. I'm sure they have that somewhere, but what they're showing here is exactly what NASA is looking for in the future. Uh, some place that can host, I think this in this case it was uh, four astronauts, do I have that right? Yeah, four astronauts at a time. Uh, and they've got plenty of habitation space, they've got some lab space, they've got the robotic arm to do external experiments, things like that, uh, can host you know whatever vehicle wants to fly up to this. So it's, a, it's an announcement that I think is pretty straightforward on the technical side. Uh, when you start thinking about what this really means overall for what their future is here, it gets maybe a little bit more complicated, right? The the uh, collaboration here, of course, NanoRacks has been talking about commercial space stations for years. We've talked about it with NanoRacks on many occasions on the show. Uh, so it's not a surprise to see them playing in this space. They've talked about uh, doing some sort of wet workshops idea with Centaur upper stages. Uh, they've shown some uh, derivatives of that where it was a modified Centaur upper stage. And now I think they're, they're kind of getting to uh, this new format where... They have this inflatable habitat uh, that uh, would host all of the habitable volume on the station. Now, on the funding side of things, uh, Voyager owns NanoRacks, or the majority of NanoRacks, and a whole host of other companies as well. So Voyager seems to have no problems with uh, the funding on their side. And, you know, the, the intention from Voyager at the start was to invest in companies that were a little bit more forward-looking, a little bit more long-term, maybe had some good profits running now, good revenues running now, but needed an investment because their business model was such a long-term uh, view of the future of space. And, uh, you know, that that obviously holds with NanoRacks in this case, but is it the kind of funding that they need to build out a full orbital space station without something like a NASA contract? I don't, I don't really think so. And um, nor do I think... Lockheed Martin is is invested in that way. So this one seems very dependent on being part of NASA's uh, commercial low Earth orbit destinations contract. 
and not that that's problematic. I think that's you're, we're going to see that pop up around this contract. But I do think it helps um, just frame the way that you think about this. Like this is a thing that might happen if they get the funding and the anchor tenant that NASA would be uh, to to build this out into the future. You know, there wasn't a ton of detail divulged about this. That makes you think that they are very far along in the design and development process of Star Lab, which also the name is kind of annoying to me because Star something is. A very loaded uh, namespace. I think they probably could have done a little better there. So I'm kind of bummed by that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, on the other side, we had the Orbital Reef rollout from Blue Origin. Uh, now, I say Blue Origin, but it is Blue Origin in partnership with Sierra Space, which is the space wing of Sierra Nevada Corporation. Uh, those are the people behind Dream Chaser. Uh, you might know them. They, they rolled out Sierra Space as its own thing uh, this time last year, maybe a little bit before that. Um, just as a freestanding entity. So those are the two main uh, partners on the station. Then they have some other team members that includes Boeing. Uh, and I'll get into what each of these members are going to be doing in a bit. Uh, includes Boeing as a team member, and then Genesis, who's going to be making this awesome little uh, EVA. Uh, you you want to call it a suit, but it's its own little personal spacecraft with robot arms. It's kind of like an orbital mech, and it looks awesome, and I would like to drive one at some point in my life. Um, but the idea behind Orbital Reef is that it is an open-ended architecture that can be added onto by whoever is interested. So this isn't, you know, Axiom saying, we're going to build all these little modules, we're going to put them all together, we're going to operate this whole complex, and then you can buy time on our station, you can fly to our station, you can be our customer. This is saying, we have a couple of partners here that would like to kind of co-locate in Earth orbit. And if you want to contribute to the project, you can. If you want to build your own module and add it on, you can. Uh, if you want to fly here and live here for a little bit, you can. It's open-ended in a way that um, could sometimes be seen as problematic because it is punting some important questions and answers down the line. It's saying, you know, it's pointing the business, uh, punting the business model question to the people that might uh, actually fly to Orbital Reef because they're positioning it as an end-to-end -end service. So if you want to fly to the station, if you want to get cargo up at the space station, if you want to do uh, research on the station, this is an end-to-end -end service for you. So you would interact with Orbital Reef as an entity and you would book time on it, you would book your flight through them. You wouldn't have to go to all these other destinations uh, to book the flight entirely. So we'll dive more into that in a second, but let me tell you who and what uh, Orbital Reef is. So Blue Origin is going to be building the core modules. They are the central modules. If you look at the uh, visualization here, it is a large diameter module. So they're going to be taking advantage of that big fairing of New Glenn to build that large diameter uh, fairing. Uh, sorry, the large diameter habitats. From that would be a, uh, you know, solar panels, radiators that would all be built and deployed by Redwire, who is recently responsible for the rollout solar arrays on the space station. Uh, there's going to be the Sierra Space's life module, the large inflatable element. I think I got that right. That's an inflatable habitat that would be on one side of the station. And then on the other side, Boeing would be developing some sort of science module that looks very reminiscent of some of the modules that we've seen uh, on station thus far. Very, you know, Boeing is heavily involved in the ISS, which is a huge aspect of this that will break down. But a very ISS-inspired science module there. Sierra Space would also be contributing, they say cargo and crew flights with Dream Chaser. Uh, crew flights with Dream Chaser is a thing to unpack as well. And then Boeing said that they would provide cargo and crew services with Starliner 
uh, at some point in the future. Now, all of those, uh, and then the Genesis uh, little EVA suit thing that I talked about is also part of these original renders. All of that uh, is, is in some sort of pecking order that is hard to discern, but Blue Origin and Sierra Space were classified as partners, whereas Boeing and Genesis and Redwire were team members. So um, when you're thinking about this kind of open-ended architecture, you have to be ready for companies to come and go, to interest levels to wane and wax. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, one thing that I was thinking about during this announcement is, which of these partners, if they packed up shop and left, uh, who would be able to withstand the departure of someone else? And um, Blue Origin is obviously a huge one. If they pull out, then this whole thing seems to go away, considering they are the core module. Uh, if Sierra Nevada did, maybe they are, from a funding perspective, going to be in a tough spot, but the habitation module seems, you know, replaceable by something else. Maybe not as good as life if you like what Sierra Space is offering there, but like I just mentioned, there was the Nanorax and, and Lockheed habitation module that is inflatable. Axiom is building a lot of hab modules. You could even host something like a Northrop Grumman uh, Cygnus-derived habitation module like they are sending to the moon for NASA's Artemis program. So habitation is something that, you know, could be replaced. And then Boeing contributing a science module and flights, that is a, kind of in the same ballpark. That uh, The flight's obviously replaceable because, ugh, I don't know if you've seen Starliner flying up the station yet, but that's a replaceable situation there. So all this is to say that Blue Origin is really, you know, the keystone here. Uh, and I think until we know more about the funding side of it, Sierra Space may be, uh, but all the other ones do seem replaceable, which is important because uh, the desire for Blue Origin to stick with this project is something that uh, I have concerns about. I'm sure others do as well. Uh, that's a thing that is up in question right now because of everything else that Blue Origin is involved in. Back in August, I had Eric Berger on the show. We talked a lot about Blue Origin uh, during that podcast. We talked about uh, Project Jarvis, the reusable upper stage that they're working on. We talked a lot about the human landing system contracts that they are protesting and now suing NASA over. And a big thing that we talked about was how developing commercial space stations and payloads for space, habitats for space, is something that we wish Blue Origin invested harder in and really drove forward with because it is so precisely in line with their vision of millions of people living and working in space, the thing that they say over and over again, um, and no one else is really doing it, and no one else very few others, I should say, have the requisite funding to invest into something like this. So it seems like something that is so down their center line of their vision. It is something that is within their funding level grasp. And it is something unique because there aren't a lot of companies that are bending metal in this department right now to make this kind of thing a reality. There are a ton of launch companies, a ton. There are too many launch companies, many people will say. Um, they're not all the size of New Glenn, but, you know, do you need something that big when you're putting together a space station and not launching a gigantic uh, single-shot habitat? So this is something that is unique, that is within Blue Origin's uh, technological and funding wheelhouse. It's within their vision. I really wish that this was something that they would drive forward on and own uh, in, in a very, you know, uh, aggressive way, uh, because... We haven't seen that in a lot of other areas when they do kind of drift in the wind with what contracts are available, with what projects are available. And it has it gives me major concerns that if they don't win a NASA contract that is coming up soon, 
Um, will they be so invested in this idea to continue to push it forward? Because we've seen this time and time again, not just with Blue Origin, but with other companies as well. And to that end, even Sierra Nevada, or now Sierra Space with Dream Chaser. They had huge plans for crewed uh, Dream, Dream Chaser missions, and they didn't win the commercial crew contract. And they did kind of put those plans on ice for a little bit. Uh, they developed a smaller cargo variant now, and, and hypothetically, they should be able to scale that back up into a crude variant, but, um, and that's not to say that they haven't invested a ton of money into Dream Chaser because they clearly have, and they clearly care about it because they've signed a ton of agreements with nations and with other space agencies and companies out there to provide Dream Chaser services, uh, to them for, uh, a lot of those I think were crude before the, the crude one was put on ice totally. Um, but it's something that they've continued to talk about and, that's also another fact that we should lay out here is that Sierra Space does have quite a lot of resources. You know, they are also owned by billionaires who own the company and uh, they're billionaires because the company is so valuable, but that's kind of how Elon's wealth is as well. And uh, you see how much money SpaceX is investing, both personally from Elon, I'm sure, but also all that external funding they're taking. Um, so it's not like they are on a shoestring budget. They've invested a lot in Dream Chaser already. But have they continued to push the crewed spacecraft forward as aggressively as some other companies would have if they really wanted to see that thing exist in the world? No, they kind of were waiting for another business model to come along, another big contract to come along, another big anchor tenant to come along, which I totally get. And, and they see this as the opportunity. But in the same way that we had thoughts at two IACs ago when Blue Origin announced a big national team to develop a human lander for the moon, the question was, if they don't win that NASA contract... Will the funding that Blue Origin has carry through this team to exist in the absence of that contract? And that hasn't been the case. So here you have the same question, right? If, if this contract does not come through in, in weeks or months, however far away it is, which of these team members are going to stay involved? For Blue Origin's case, I do think that they're going to stay involved in this one because I think at some point they have to try something different. They have to try a different model. And this is, again, so directly down the center line of their vision that it would be, in my view, silly to, to bounce out of this one if they don't get picked by NASA first. For Sierra Space, they clearly see the space side of the industry being such a huge growth area that they rolled out their space company as its own entity that could bring with it the uh, you know further investment in the space business. It could mean going public. It could mean a massive infusion of assets there. And they see that as a major growth area. So I would hope if the NASA contract does not come through, that they, in some manner, whether it's solely providing the cargo flights that they're already capable of doing because they have Cargo Dream Chaser coming up pretty soon to start flying to the ISS, even if it's just that and maybe developing the life module, uh, that I would hope that that continues in the absence of the NASA contract. Boeing is the first one where the story changes quite a lot. And that has a lot to do with the weird spot that Boeing finds itself right now uh, across the, the industry, really. Boeing is the prime contractor on ISS. That's something on the order of two or $300 million a year to run the ISS. They are obviously providing, uh, or they're on the hook to provide crew flights to the ISS with Starliner. They are very heavily invested in the existence of ISS. Now, that means two things that they need to continue to lobby for the continued existence of the ISS. And we've started to hear people in Congress throwing out 
2030, 2040 for the existence of ISS and not deorbiting it at 2028 or 2030 as the plan currently stands, but operating that until 2040. And you can be sure that there are people with relationships with Boeing that are in those conversations pushing for the maximum extension possible to the ISS because Boeing is very invested in that existing. They're also invested in that existing because, hypothetically, NASA would continue to buy Starliner flights all those years in addition to the prime contract. But at the same time, they need to be realistic that the ISS is not going to be around forever. So they need to start putting some feelers out there to, you know, what projects can we be involved in in a post-ISS era if this ISS money goes away? We need to continue to have a foothold in this. We have all this experience. We have all this expertise. We have these people in-house. We have all these facilities. We need to put that to use somehow. We need to have a spot in that post-ISS future. So this is, uh, and then I should say, furthermore, Boeing is also massively invested in SLS existing. And that's a budgetary constraint for NASA right now because there's a lot of problems that, and we'll talk about this towards the end of the episode, but NASA's having a ton of problems getting money for the commercial space station side of their plans. And when you talk to people around the, the industry, a lot of people will chalk that up to, yeah, there's so much money being taken up by SLS Orion right now that we can't actually take on these other important projects because there's just not enough funding available in NASA's portfolio. So Boeing's lobbying for, you know, that SLS funding to continue, the, or the ISS funding to continue. If they continue to get both of those things, there's no money for the commercial space stations. Uh, and with no money means, you know, if, if contracts even are doled out for this program, they'll be very tiny. Would that keep Boeing's interest at that point? And I'm very unconvinced that it will. Um, I also think that in the same way that some of the stuff that Sierra Space provides is uh, interchangeable, I think all of that what Boeing would provide here is interchangeable. Uh, Starliner was announced as as the a crew transportation option for the space station, and they talk about that in the in terms of the end to end services that they're going to have for the station. So if you want to fly to Orbital Reef. Um, you don't have to go to Boeing individually and charter a flight. There would be some sort of flight schedule. Um, I was on the call about this orbital reef rollout, and I asked, does that mean that you have set schedules in sort of an expedition, an ISS expedition style uh, flight plan where, you know, oh, well, you want to go up. Well, there's one flying next April. You can get on that one, and then there's going to be one in October. I asked if that's the case where you can buy on demand, and um, it seemed a little bit up in the air, but. The one thing uh, that Brent Sherwood, who is in, really in charge of this program from the Blue Origin side, uh, the one thing he said was that, well, he brought up New Glenn as and its flight rate and its affordability as a point to that, that it wouldn't necessarily be on demand, but would flights be more affordable overall because of New Glenn? Yes. Which I, I thought at first I was like, okay, that's kind of like a random tangent, but it's totally possible that New Glenn jumps in here and is providing the launch services for not only Dream Chaser, but for Starliner in the future as well. There's only a couple of Atlas rockets left. Starliner is going to have to figure out a new launch vehicle, whether that be Vulcan from United Launch Alliance, or if they can figure out how to launch this thing with New Glenn. New Glenn's payload capacity is very high to low Earth orbit, so could there be something where you are co-manifesting uh, cargo going to the space station, or even another module going to the space station along with a crewed flight? Uh, Blue Origins talked about this last mile space tug that they're going to build to help bring those modules and integrate them onto the orbital reef. So could they be using New Glenn in this way to co-manifest 
crew and cargo going up to the space station to help that cost. I kind of suspect that that would do a big number on the affordability of Starliner seats. You know, if and when this future comes to pass, that Starliner is flying in in six or eight years. Uh, by the way, this orbital reef thing is going to fly in the later half of this decade, they say. So if by that point, Starliner is flying on New Glenn, they've flown it for a lot, they're reusing a lot of components, could the cost come down enough to make it very affordable? Very plausible, especially if they're going to co-manifest all that payload space to get more up into space in one shot. But I don't think that anyone on, on Orbital Reef is opposed to chartering a Dragon flight uh, to the station or chartering whatever the cheapest uh, crew vehicle is to get to the space station. Hell, Rocket Labs talked up making a human spaceflight vehicle of some sort and launching it on Neutron, so they are obviously, because of this open-ended architecture, open to that sort of thing if it comes to pass. Now, one of the most interesting aspects uh, to this whole announcement is the idea that Blue Origin, Sierra Space, Boeing, whoever else is part of this program, would help build modules for people that are interested in adding on to the Orbital Reef who might not have expertise in space at all. This is the second question I asked on that call, was whether the expansion to Orbital Reef would be something that has to go through the partners on the team, or if it's something where you can bring your own tin can and attach it on board. Uh, because so much of the logistics and the life support, everything will be handled by those core modules from, from Blue Origin and the energy masts uh, from Redwire Space. So you can kind of bring dumb tin cans and dock them uh, on board. And uh, Brent also said that they're open to both of those things. If there's a company out there who has expertise in this area, has already developed their modules, if it's another country who is invested in building their own modules... Uh, you think in this case, specifically, Tales Alenia builds a lot of pressure modules that they could make. Uh, they're building Axiom's uh, pressure modules, uh, pressure vessels. I don't know what I'm saying, pressure modules. Modules is in my head today. Uh, they're building the pressure vessels for Axiom Space. They're building them for Northrop Grumman's Cygnus. So they, they tend to build a lot of these. And if some country wanted to build out a module and attach it, they could build that and get it to the station on their own. But more interestingly, in the, in, interestingly than that, Brent said if somebody has no experience and they want to add on to this, that they would work with them. So my mind goes to something like, would Ritz-Carlton want to open their orbital hotel and work directly with these partners to build out that module, design it with them, um, and eventually get it integrated on station, and then just participate in those end-to-end services for cargo and crew? Uh, that kind of thing, again, it does punt the question of business model down the line, but it definitely opens up a lot of possibilities that aren't necessarily there with Axiom. You know, maybe they, they could theoretically partner with somebody like Ritz-Carlton to build out like their hotel habitat or something like that. But they seem much more invested in building out the complex on their own, operating it the way that they say. Uh, whereas this seems a little bit more, you know, fast and loose, ready to kind of uh, bend to the wishes of the market. And to me, that, that seems, in, in a market that has a lot of unknowns, that seems more ready for the future uh, than uh, either of the options. Now, I want to talk about the, the NASA of it all, and then I kind of want to give some more general thoughts about where this whole market is going. Uh, but before I do that, I need to say a huge thank you to all of you out there over at MainEngineCutoff.com support who make this show happen every single month. There are 742 of you supporting the show every single month, and that includes 40 executive producers. Thanks to Brandon, Simon, Lauren, Chris, Pat, Matt, George, Ryan, Donald, Lee, Chris, Warren, Bob, Russell, Moritz, Joel, Jan, David, Eunice, Rob, Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut, 
Frank, Julian and Lars from Agile Space, Tommy, Matt, the Astrogators at SEE, Chris, Aegis Trade Law, Fred, Haymonth, Dawn Aerospace, and seven anonymous executive producers. Thank you all so much for making this episode possible. If you want to join the crew and get Miko headlines in your feed every single week, I do an entire other podcast where I talk about all the stories from the week, everything you need to stay up on, and give you my short thoughts on whatever I have thoughts on. It's a great way to stay up on the news, to support the show. So head over to mainenginecutoff.com slash support to do that. And a quick editor's note about that. I'm actually heading out on vacation tomorrow as I record this. So there's going to be one more headlines uh, this week. And then next week, you're going to have a special episode in the headlines feed, a little sneak preview of something else out there in the wild that uh, you might be of interest, uh, that might be of interest to you. So if you want to get some headlines in your life and you want to get a sneak preview at something else that's happening uh, out there in the podcasting world, then uh, join up and you'll get a show this week. You'll get a special show next week. And then I'll be back post-vacation with uh, headlines through the end of the observable universe, I guess, because uh, I do that every single week and it's awesome. So thanks again for all the support and uh, I appreciate it. All right, so the NASA question here is is a real big one. NASA is at a weird spot right now where they are, as I mentioned with the Boeing lobbying efforts, they're having a hard time getting funding for the ISS commercialization initiative. It's been something that they've been talking about since, you know, 20, uh, even, I don't even want to name a date because it'll probably be out of out of sync with reality, but it's been many years where there's been people talking about what do we do after ISS? We want to avoid this gap of human spaceflight and LEO for whether that be you know, geopolitical reasons or just pride. Like, there's a lot of different reasons for avoiding the gap or just bad memories from having the gap after the space shuttle until commercial crew was flying. It's been a lot of people talking about that for years. So the idea starting around, you know, 2015, 16-ish was to have this commercialization effort where NASA would fund a couple of different companies to begin developing the predecessor or the, that's not the right word for it, the ancestor, the follow-on to the ISS. Uh, that where then NASA could buy services on orbit, the way that they buy services for cargo and crew to the ISS today, they would buy that service of crew time on orbit in the future. Now, they've gotten very little money from Congress for this over the years. Every year, they seem to request something in the 100 to $150 million range. They tend to get something in the $15 million range, and even that is new, and that is the largest sum. They're making, like, good influencer money. On, on this uh, Leo commercialization effort. And that's not going to work, right? We're looking at the calendar. We're sitting here. We are towards the back end of 2021. The ISS theoretically can make it to 2028. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a lot of ISS problems lately. The Russian segment has spun the ISS out twice in the last couple of months. There's been a couple of leaks. There are things that are aging. There is a lot of problems with the ISS because it's just getting old and it needs some work. Um, and something that Brent Sherwood of, of Blue Origin said in that call last week, uh, or this week, and my timeline's totally screwed up, he said that you do want to plan for the ISS to make it to the end date, but you don't want to bank on it because what if something else happens and you need an alternative plan sooner than that, right? So we can sit here and talk about 2028, we can talk about 2030, we can talk about 2040, but... I I don't know anyone that would bet on the ISS really being in a good shape beyond 2030. So you couple that with the fact that these commercial space stations are going to take half a decade or the better part of a decade 
to really develop, build out, and launch, and even get operational, and then you factor in typical aerospace delays, we're at crunch time here. You know, there's not a lot of time to lose. Um, so NASA needs to either take this seriously and start getting funding for it, or, or put better Congress has to take this seriously and start putting funding in the budget for it. Um, or they're just going to rely on the hopeful existence of companies like Blue Origin, like Axiom, like SpaceX, to just continue in the direction that is good for them. Um, Jim Breinstein was on Capitol Hill last week in a hearing, and he didn't say it out loud in the hearing, but in his written testimony that he submitted, he suggested $2 billion a year that NASA would be allocated for commercialization efforts. $2 billion a year. You know, that's what they spend on SLS... It's what they spend on Orion alone. It's what they spend on the space station alone, almost. I think space station's at like three or four billion, but it's pretty close. And that's just to develop, you know, two or three options here uh, in the LEO space and have the requisite funding to will this into existence. So without that, again, we're left with that question of if NASA doesn't come through here for these companies, who's going to be building out these space stations? Axiom seems to have a ton of funding, a ton of momentum. They're bending metal. They are going to start sending private astronaut missions up to the ISS. They're looking to launch their first module in 2024. They're building out a huge new headquarters. They have like three or 400 people now, the last I heard. So they seem to be very serious. SpaceX is doing a lot with Starship, and, and there's always the people out there, much to the chagrin of a lot of other people out there who would say, just use a Starship and make it a space station. But it is a plausible thing. It's not something that you want to rely on in the same way of, of a permanent habitat in space, at least in its current iteration. But, you know, in a pinch, if NASA did need to send up a bunch of people to do some experiments, get some flight time, it is a thing that could exist. I mean, Inspiration4 basically did that a couple weeks back with Dragon. So there's free flyer missions. And then there's this orbital reef idea that if Blue Origin, if Sierra Space are committed enough and NASA does not come through with the funding, could exist. But this is a case that we, we would like to see NASA do better, I think. Because, and again, every time I say NASA here, I mean Congress, and I mean the NASA Budget Department, but you have this industry going in this direction that is so clearly in NASA's best interest because of the state of the ISS, the state of the NASA budget, the future of what they want to do, and, and really the future development of space overall, because all of these companies that are building out these LEO habitats are invested in building out an ecosystem that would make a more healthy space environment overall. You know, if there's these space stations operating in low Earth orbit, what is that going to do for the cost of everything else around it? It's going to have some downward pressure on operations, on logistics, on transportation. The more customers there are, the more downward pressure there is. The more competitor th competitors there are, the more downward pressure this is. So you can get yourself into a good cycle, but it takes a ton of up upfront investment. and. You know, right now we're banking on a couple of companies continuing to be interested uh, rather than actually getting the money from Congress to see that there is a successor to the ISS. That's the word I was looking for earlier, successor. Uh, a successor to the ISS that is able to do the things that NASA requires. So I'm kind of getting wandering now, but the commercial low Earth orbit destinations contracts that we've been talking about all along and, and those that existence of that program is why we're seeing all these announcements right now, because earlier this year when that program was announced, they said that the awards were going to be in the first quarter of fiscal year 2022. You might be confused looking at the calendar, but we are in fiscal year 2022 because that started on October 1st. 
Now, it looks like in the congressional halls, of uh, we're seeing numbers around $100 million a year for uh, LEO commercialization for NASA for fiscal year 2022. The budget process is already screwed, and, and there's tons of other stuff going on this year that is going to make that even more screwy. But um, the, uh, the contract awards should be coming out within weeks, if not months. Like, we're getting very close to these announcements. So I think, you know, by the end of the year, by early next year, we'll probably have a resync on this topic because we'll see who wins those contracts. NASA was talking up two to four. It's probably going to be closer to two because of that restricted funding. Um, but they're going to get contracts that are, you know, 50, 40, 50 million dollars a piece to continue studying or maybe to continue design concepts, to start some early prototypes, to start some testing. I don't know what they can do with that money, given how much it's going to cost. Um, but certainly there's companies like Axiom who are already pushing forward with hardware itself. So I would be shocked not to see Axiom uh, picked. And then I think it's really a toss up to see between these two, Star Lab and Orbital Reef, and then whoever else uh, bid. I'm, I'm unclear on who's going to win that. But it's going to be a really interesting time because, you know, we're getting to a real tough point here between schedule and budget. Uh, and w this tends to be how we do things in this country in that we we tend to wait a little too long before we start investing a lot of money. We even did it with commercial crew. You know, we, we had the program established. We had it underfunded for the first couple of years, and then we put the money in and it finally worked out many years late. That's going to happen with the, with the ISS and with the follow-on space stations. It's going to happen that there's going to be a gap of space stations. And the only way that isn't going to happen is if there are, you know, in some cases, individuals who are invested enough in seeing a space station exist. In other cases, can companies continue to get the investment that they need to build it out? Otherwise, you know, my, I'm betting on there's going to be a gap in the space station market because that's just kind of how we do it. And I hate to end on a down note, but I've just been kind of bummed looking at all these concepts, looking at the calendar, looking at what's coming through these budgets. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, we'll, we'll catch back up on this in a couple of weeks once we hear the announcement, once we see the budget get a little more finalized. But uh, very cool concepts, very cool uh, design comps, very cool ideas behind Orbital Reef, behind Star Lab. I'm excited to see where it goes. Hopefully, I get to talk to some people that are working on these uh, projects in the near future. So we'll see what happens there. But if you would like any of that to happen, once again, head over to mainenginecutoff.com slash support to keep the show going. If you've got any questions or thoughts, email me, anthony at mainenginecutoff.com or hit me up on Twitter at WeHaveMiko. And until next time, I'll talk to you soon.